Well, hello and welcome to C3. Especially, I want to say hello to those of you that are joining us for the very first time for Church Online. <laughs> well, that starts today, and we're glad to have you with us. The title that I've given today's message is simply this, Easter Surprise. Easter Surprise. And I use that title because I've been doing a lot of research reading books, listening to sermons, reading sermons, which I particularly like to do. And I came across one talk by a guy called James Emery White in the United States. And he gave a message called Five Things You, Must Th Five Things you May Not Have Known About Easter. And I thought, I want to use that message today. Now, I can't go through all five, so I'm just going to choose two of what he spoke about and speak about that this morning. Who of you here or listening likes surprises? Hmm, some of you clearly don't. That's because some of you have had surprises. So there are good surprises, aren't there? And there are not so good surprises. Um, I was the youngest in our family growing up, and my dad told me, you were a surprise. Uh, I don't know whether it was not so good surprise or whether it was a good surprise. I think by the end he was persuaded, but... He shouldn't have been doing what he was doing if he didn't want that surprise. <laughs> a couple of years ago, a video, which I'm just going to show you here, went viral, which was a surprise. Just take a look at this. Scandals happen all the time. The question is, how do democracies respond to those scandals? Uh, and what will it mean for, uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shift it, shifting, shifting sands in the region, do you think relations with the North may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. The, um, pardon me. There we go. Do you remember that one? What a surprise. He was interviewed afterwards, that guy, doing the interview, and he said, yeah, my daughter was just having a hippity-hoppity day, whatever that means. The most unexpected thing that ever invaded human history was when a man rose from the dead. Not even those that had been the closest to him and those to whom he spoke about this resurrection expected it. It was still a mystery to them until it happened. And here we are 2,000 years later and across the earth, 2.3 billion people would claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. That's a lot of people, isn't it? We're still here. There will be billions today across this 24-hour period who are worshipping Christ, the resurrected Savior. Joining with us, we're not on our own. There are billions across the earth. But most of us know that that's what this is about. We're worshipping a risen Savior. But what if there are a couple of things that I'm going to speak about that are maybe not so well known around the, Christmas, uh, the, around the Easter story, that are maybe sometimes details we don't look at? So I'm just going to do a couple of those. The first one is this. Hear me now. Easter ended religion. Easter ended religion. According to... The Christian faith and the Bible's record, we're going to read in a moment, 
of what took place, the resurrection of Jesus ended religion. That sounds weird, right? Most people would think that we are experiencing something of a religion today. And we say this, but we really mean it. Christianity is not first and foremost about a religion of do's and don'ts. It is fundamentally about a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, the whole of the Bible, if we look at it, is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a list of do's, don'ts, and maybes or maybe nots. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus came to introduce us to, the Father, a relationship. Let me read just two scriptures. This is from John 19, uh, verse 30. It says, Jesus said, so this is Jesus on the cross. As he's uttering his final breath, he cried out, Jesus said this, it is finished. Then in in Luke chapter 23, it says this, by this time it was noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. What was finished through the cross? What was ended as a result of his death? I've actually changed my mind on what I used to preach on this. So I'm going to preach what I believe today about what is finished. In that single sentence, he says, it is finished. And let's read it again in Luke, the same time. So Luke and Matthew, they widen some of the events that are going on around the death, burial, and resurrection. And and Luke says it, suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Let me read it to you from Matthew. At the moment, that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Everyone say top to bottom. Top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks split. That single supernatural event concluded thousands of years of religious history. Something finished at the cross at that point. What was that something? Well, let's just go back in time a little bit in the Bible. We've got time to go through it in detail, but Essentially, God established a relationship with the Jewish nation, Israel. And he wanted Israel to be an example to the world of what it was to relate to Yahweh, the Most High God. And he used them as an example. And he said to them, what I want you to do is I want you to have priests. So that a priest would be someone that represented the people to God. And they were a select individual group. They came from the tribe of Levi, which was the first priest was Aaron, Moses' brother. Moses was the leader of the people of Israel. First one was Aaron. After him, after that, they were all from the tribe of Levi, which is why Aaron's priesthood and the priests that followed him are often referred to as the Levitical priesthood. And as priests, they stood as in-betweeners, as the stopgap between God and man. That was their role, to represent particularly people to God. That meant the people, general people, couldn't do anything themselves in relation to God unless it went through a priest. So it had to go through a holy man. If they wanted to pray, if they wanted to bring sacrifices, if they wanted to confess sins, it was always through the priest. 
You couldn't go directly to God yourself. In other words, there was this religious route. There was this religious prescribed way. This is the way to do it. You've got to go through these men. It was only men who were priests. And then they had this building. Originally, it was the tabernacle, which was a tent. And then it became the temple. And then there were different temples that were built because some were destroyed. And every time in this tabernacle or in the temple, they had right in the center this place called the most holy place, which is right at the center of everything they did. So they had the general holy place, and then going into the holy of holies, and the tabernacle, the temple, and all these other buildings that they had. And the holy place, the most holy place, represented God's throne room. Someone called it the royal guest chamber. But surrounding this most holy place was a curtain, a thick curtain. And no one except the high priest was allowed through that curtain. And even he was only allowed one day a year, the Day of Atonement. And even he was only allowed when there was blood shed. And I know it seems strange sometimes, all this blood that's shed. But blood being shed in order to atone for sins was basically God saying, this is a really serious deal, guys. It's messy, it's horrible, it smells, but this is what sin is like. But there is hope because you can go through what you can't go through. The high priest can one day a year, and if he didn't get the process right, he'd die. Which is why they tied a bit of rope around his leg. So when he walked in, if he hadn't done the process right, he'd fall down dead. They'd know he was dead, and they'd have to pull him out by the rope. There was this religious routine. But the curtain separated them from that presence of God. We've been doing a lot of flying these last few years as a family. And some, on some planes, you, you know this, those of you who fly, when you go in, they look at your ticket or your seat, and you can go right to economy, or you can go left to business class. They're not all like that, but a lot of them are. You go right to economy, and you go left to business class. And guess what business class is separated by? A curtain. Now, if you've ever been in business class, you know why it's separated. You don't want to be sitting there on that flight just looking at them saying, why not me? <laughs> we got on one flight last year. We went on, I looked at the ticket, we went right. <laughs> and then we couldn't get our luggage in, or I couldn't get mine in the overhead locker. So she said, come with me, sir. Now, we pray every time we fly for an upgrade. <laughs> I thought, this is the answer to my prayer. I said, excuse me, Angie, I've got to go. That's my wife. And I went with her to business class. She took me all the way to business class. She said, there's room in the locker here for your, for your luggage. So I put my, uh, my, my uh, luggage in, and then I said to her, I can't leave my luggage on its own. I assume I'm staying here. And she just looked at me and shook her head and said, no, sir. And I said, but my wife wouldn't mind. She's got more space next to her if I stay here. And I would have visited her. She said, no, sir. Well, my, the biggest answer, so I, we, we've not, I've not answered, God's not heard my cry for business class, but my luggage flew business class. <laughs> the curtain separates you. If you want to go beyond that curtain, you've got to pay a lot of money. There was a curtain all the way around the Holy of Holy, the most holy place. And you were not allowed in. Only the high priest. One day a year with the shedding of blood. 
If he didn't get it right, there was death. That's the curtain. Or oh, if we could grasp this. That's the curtain that went from top to bottom as Jesus breathed his last. No man could have torn it asunder, only God, and the curtain was torn all the way down. What's that saying? It's now saying, you, me, everyone has ever lived. We don't now need a high priest, except one, except one, his name is Jesus. You don't need, come on, at the back you need to be excited, it's the front row. On, online you can cheer as well. You don't need... The shedding of an animal's blood anymore to give you access to the presence of God. The blood of Jesus is the once and for all sufficient Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the whole world. You're welcomed in. In fact, it wasn't just about letting us in. I think he was letting God out. So now, anything in life can be holy. Not just one day a year. Not just through a special curtain. Anything you do can be holy because God's presence is with you. And you don't have to confess your sins to any intermediary except one. His name is Jesus. And you can just go, there's only one high priest, there's only one sacrifice sufficient for all, there's only one saviour of the world, and his name is Jesus. That's what Easter is all about. Always brings us to Jesus. God's fullest and most complete revelation of himself. Listen to what it says here. In the book of Hebrews, this is at the end of Hebrews, Hebrews 10. I'm going to read it to you from the message paraphrase. It says this, so friends, we can now without hesitation walk right up to God into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrificing, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. So let's do it. We're allowed in. We're welcome. That's my first point. My second point is this. So if you follow along in new version, it ended religion. Number two, this. The cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus leveled the playing field. Leveled the playing field. This is what I mean. The resurrection of Jesus purposefully leveled the playing field in terms of sex, class, role and position. It leveled the playing field in saying everyone is worth the same price. No second class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus demonstrated this through his resurrection. After Jesus was resurrected, the first person he appeared to and talked to was Mary Magdalene. In case you don't know, Mary, her story, and everyone's got a story, she was one troubled lady. The Bible records that she had seven demons. The Bible records that she was sick in her body, which may have been caused by the demons, of course. Fourteen times... Mary is mentioned in the New Testament. More than any other woman mentioned, Mary is mentioned, other than the mother of Jesus. She, because she'd had this encounter with him, she then followed him and his ministry all 
of his life until the cross. She walked with him, talked with him, went on ministry trips with him. She devoted her life to him. And in one of the scenes just after the resurrection, I'm going to read it to you now. She is the first person that Jesus comes to. Remember, he's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He could have chosen anyone, couldn't he? He could have gone to the high priest. But he comes to Mary. This is what it says. It says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And she wept. She stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels sitting at the head and foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Why are you crying, the angels asked. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She glanced over her shoulder and saw someone standing behind her. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? What a trickster, hey? Is that right to say that about Jesus? He's playing a trick. What are you looking for? Why are you crying? As if he doesn't know. She thought he was the gardener. And sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned towards him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. And then Jesus said, go find my brothers and tell them. Mary Magdalene found the disciples, the first witness, and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave him his message. Now this is really important. Because some people think Christians and the Bible and Jesus are misogynistic. But it's just not true. It's a lie. Now, I'm not saying some Christians haven't acted in that way, but Jesus never acted that way. Never acted that way. And the first thing he does, he could have gone to anyone he wanted, but he came to a woman and he came to Mary. Why is that important? Because in the ancient Near Eastern culture of that day, women were extremely, well, they were at the bottom of the totem pole when it came to those that had any standing in the community. They weren't accepted. You couldn't, as a woman, give witness in a court of law. Your witness wasn't accepted. You couldn't even, as a group of women, well, we all saw it happen. Even as a group of women, it wasn't accepted. But Jesus chose a woman as the first one to witness his resurrection and then be the first one to go and declare he's alive. He's alive. Now, it's not just about women. This is representative of anyone in society who at that time or this might have been considered or is considered second class. God says no. It is absolutely level ground at the foot of the cross. There is no us and them. There's only us. We're all sinners in need of a savior. Every single one of us. And when Jesus needed a witness, the defining event in history, or the defining event of history, he purposely went first to a woman and chose her to be a witness. That's good news. That changed everything. The cross of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Oh, also, by the way, if you're a little bit cynical about could he actually have risen from the dead? See, one of the stories that people told, and she alludes to it, is if you've stolen his body, the story with that round, his body's been stolen. Well, if his body hadn't have been stolen, you would certainly not have chosen a woman to be the one to go telling that message because he didn't have any credibility. This only proves God is using this in order to dignify all people. 
So the Bible's detail is very important. This is no made-up story. This is an event in history. There's more I could say, but I want to finish with this one. It leveled the playing field, I've just said. It ended religion. He appeared to many of his disciples over 40 days, which is an important point, but I won't emphasize that. I just want to emphasize this. It can happen to you. It can happen to you. If you're listening online, it can happen to you. You can experience a meeting, a relationship with the living Savior. See, resurrection is not just about one day we're going to get a new body, and I'm looking forward to that new body. We will in resurrection day. When Jesus went to one of the friends of his who had died, and he'd been dead three or four days, the sisters of that man come out, and Jesus says to them, don't you believe? Don't you believe? He's only sleeping. Don't you believe? I've delayed my coming. This is me paraphrasing it, but don't you believe? And they said, oh, yeah, we believe that one day in the resurrection he'll rise again. And Jesus said to them this, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Not one day in the sweet by and by, not somewhere over there, but today. And although we are going to get new bodies and we're going to get resurrected, that resurrection power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, is available here today to change lives. To change lives. I'm going to show you in a moment someone's story who experienced resurrection life. So as that they are new creations. It can happen to you. It's never happened to you. But how about this? Easter Sunday, it could happen to you. If it has happened to you, how about this? Let's worship God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because we've known the power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. It's not just about physical death. It's about spiritual life. The resurrection of Jesus secures that for us and changes lives every single day. Take a listen and look at this beautiful story of Nick and B Sharp. Hello, we're Nick and B, and um, we are married with two beautiful boys, and we go to the C3 church. We've been going for around about three and a bit years now, I think. We're very carefree, and um, we're both It was all told... festivals, parties, and um, yeah, it was just a very hedonistic lifestyle. It was very, looking back, it was very shallow, really, because... It was all for the weekend, then you crack on with your week at work, look forward to the weekend, do it all again, but it was never very meaningful. We were both kind of told on separate occasions that we possibly wouldn't have children, and then um, one day I um, found out I was pregnant and everything started to change. Yeah, it did. Then we started kind of exploring things, and Nick started going to churches on Sunday mornings, and he quite often would just take Teddy, and I, I wasn't really too fast, to be honest. <laughs> and then um, I started um, hiring a room at C3 to work, and then um, we thought, well, Nick said to me, why don't we try that church? And I was like, well, I don't know, um, we could do. When we first attended C3, I sat at the back, and uh, I sat on my hands, and when 
when the worship started, I, I refused to do anything. I just sat there, but B jumped up with Teddy. And the next thing I know, she's dancing down the front. And when it had all finished, she uh, says to me, so uh, what do you think? what do you think? Get your coat, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and, um, but she said to me, you know, you're being really miserable about this. And, and, and to me, I knew that there was, we were missing that element in our life and it was important to me that that we had that so you know so we started coming to C3 and and, and I did acclimatise to to the worship and you know embraced it and I can't imagine church in a in a dusty building anymore you know church it took us a long time though to um, kind of commit to I mean we came to church but to commit to faith to me the idea that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the, the incarnation of God, that he died on the cross for our sins. I just couldn't get my head around that, that idea. And uh, I was quite happy to, to say Jesus was, you know, a prophet or, a, you know, a good teacher. I, I was quite comfortable with that, to reduce him down to human terms. I was very comfortable with that. And, the way that I saw it, we still got the uh, community aspect of church and everything, but you know, I wasn't making any bold, um, bold statement um, on on the person of Jesus. But you know, we were attending church for quite a while, and and I wanted to put my hand up. Not because... I kept saying, "When are you going to do it? When are you going to do it?" And then eventually, you did it when I wasn't there. Yeah, <laughs> I, was but, like, uh, what? I really didn't. I didn't feel like I could because I didn't really have. A Holy Spirit moment um, for me it was more of a gradual acceptance of, of the facts that and, and Pastor Steve he, he mentioned in a um, in a preach one day he uh, quoted C.S. Lewis and it was that a man I can't remember the exact wording but the a man who made the claims that Jesus makes could not be a moral, good moral teacher he'd either have to be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or be the devil of hell himself and so at that point I sort of thought well I have to make a decision here and you know it says in scripture if you've got faith the size of a mustard seed you can tell that mountain to move well I did have faith and so I put my hand up I responded and to me you know the the revelation of who God is, to me, has happened gradually. But if you if you reduce God to human terms, you, you're not able to have a relationship with with a dead prophet or a dead teacher from 2,000 years ago. But you can have a relationship with a living God, with with a God who wants to have a relationship with you. So, you know, God's revealed Himself to me gradually. I haven't had like the blues forever, brothers moment which I really wish I had but I haven't had that but I am certain that God is working in my life I'm certain that Jesus is able to have a relationship with us so much has changed for us so much we've got from living in what was basically a glorified floating caravan which was lovely but it was very small we and now live in a glorified large caravan. <laughs> <laughs> We've managed to, and we took a real um, kind of faith step with that, didn't we? Because mm. it was like we went to look at a new boat 
And I was like, yeah, we'll have it. And Nick was like, how are we even going to afford that? And, you know, God's worked all of this out for us. We managed to get a loan. He's just worked wonders in our world. We've had another baby. Our businesses are both prospering. Um, we've met, we've got a family in church that are just incredible. The people that surround us, they're such yeah. good influences and really found ourselves a really firm foundation within life, really. Yeah. This is, what, this is what the Bible says. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. Nick and B, new lives. You and me, new lives. Because of the resurrection of Jesus. It can happen to you. <laughs>